Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Seth to my Evan. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. We tried this before, but I had this problem that like 8% of podcasters get. Oh, yeah. And our, ver- our very own McLovin. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing? <laughs> Super tight. <laughs> I'm glad I guessed right on that. That would have been weird if I had. One name? One name. What are you, Seal? Are you like an Irish Irish R&B singer? <laughs> One name, McLovin? Muhammad's most common name on the planet. <laughs> Do you know anyone named Muhammad? <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, Seahawks, we're, we're, we're trying to be happy because the Seahawks were sad this week. Uh, the Seahawks came out like a house of fire. They and looked, finished like a pit of misery. They absolutely looked incredible for the first half of the game like just an just an awesome first half of football looked like we were the team that we kind of thought we were we go into halftime up 24 to 9 and it is feeling real good i think that the win per our win percentage at that point in the game was something like 92 percent chance to win at halftime so our we are look we are riding high and then from that point forward boy i thought you can lose a game in the fourth quarter uh, you can't, I guess Pete was right. You cannot win the game in the second quarter. So let's start with this. I want to look big picture. Okay. I want to start off big picture. Eric, this week in his, in his press conference and his radio appearances, Pete Carroll seems to be talking a lot about how when you're running the offense too fast and you're not running the ball, uh, stuff like this can happen. Do you think Pete Carroll <laughs> is learning the correct lessons from, uh, from this game? No, uh, this is we we spoke about this via text after the game. You said I think Pete's going to find a way with Der- with what Derrick Henry did to us. Pete's going to find a way to turn this into we need to run the ball more, and I think we need to run the ball more efficiently. We need to probably have a more balanced stat line at the end of the game, but I I don't know what he's focusing on because running running Chris Carson for as little as he did is one thing. Uh, Running Alex Collins once for a big play and not using him again is another. Uh, I don't think either one of these things were the keys to not blowing a huge lead to start the fourth quarter. Uh, We can go into the second half if we want to, but you can even look at it like the fourth quarter if you'd have just done something. I was so relaxed in the third quarter because I was like, we're so bad in the third. This is just what we do. I I, I talk about this frequently, and then, then what happened? I'm going to bring up a, a game that we we haven't really talked about much on this podcast. We maybe we talked about it the week after that it happened. But uh 2 minutes and 8 seconds to go in the third quarter. Atlanta 28, New England 3. This loss reminded me a lot of that in that there's a lesson to be learned here. And the lesson is not that the Seahawks need to run more or that the Seahawks need to change what they do on offense. The lesson is that your offense needs gears. Okay, and your offense needs gears because and you need to be able to play situation football. You cannot just be in the highest gear, pushing the pedal down all the way, all the time. Okay, Russell Wilson averaged eleven point one yards per attempt in this game. Like he played a good, a really good football game. But you have to be able to when you're ahead, uh, put the game away by running out the clock. Right, that is a legit, a legitimate <coughs> strategy, and it is. It is tough for me to look back at what happened, and especially the last drive 
when it was 30 to uh, 30 in the overtime, when Russell Wilson uh, passing complete deep left, passing complete deep left, sacked. Like they were they were pressing in a way that made me feel made me feel like they kind of lost sight of what what do good football teams do when they get ahead? And we always say like you don't running is is worse than passing, right? But when you're ahead, you should run, right? That's like the concession, right? It's, it's running is worse than passing. But when you're ahead, it's a good time to run. And it felt like, you know, when you're up, when you're up big and you're coming out no huddle and getting straight to the line, I don't know. I just feel like I felt like they weren't playing good situational football. And then the, the bad part is, is that. Pete isn't going to look at that and say, because this team should be in no huddle sometimes, right? They should yeah. stay aggressive, especially when the game is close or it's early or we're behind. The team should be extremely aggressive. But like when you're up huge, that's the time to get Pete Carroll. That's the that's when you want to get Pete Carroll. And Pete needs to realize that you got to shift those gears. You can't you can't paddle shift and you can't stay in fourth the whole time. Just like we don't want the team to stay in first the whole time. And if that's what the the lesson ends up being for Pete is that we need to go back to the the uh, vanilla offense and be in first gear all the time. I, I mean, this team will be. It's just as bad as if this team has this loss that it just had to a Titans team that was clearly inferior to us. I'm just going to throw that out there too. They are yeah. clearly worse than us. And we were at home first game in front of the 12s in over two years in over two years, over a year, over, over a year, year. Almost in almost two, years. two <clears throat> almost two years. And that's what we did. That is a team. And you know, Pete says, Oh, we came out too pumped up. Maybe that's part of it too. But I also compared it to something else. And I don't know, I've been talking for way too long in a row here and I apologize guys, but I just, I have two really, really big notes here that I wanted to make sure to get in. And then I'll let Kevin go crazy for five minutes. But the, the other thing is, is that I, we watch, did, did you guys watch the Ravens play the chiefs? You know, yes, and a little bit. of course. I mean, that's a great matchup, right? And at the end of the game, what does Harbaugh do? Yes. They have, they have fourth and one in their own territory with a minute, a minute to go and they have a chance to you know run 40 seconds off the clock punt it back to Mahomes with 30 seconds left which is exactly what Pete Carroll would do in that situation right he takes the ball out of his quarterback's time hands every single time what does what does Harbaugh do he looks at Lamar Jackson he says Lamar do you want to go for it and Lamar of course says something like hell yeah coach just like he did against us last year and and what do they do they go out there they get the first down and the game is over the Ravens took the chief's heart out in the middle of that field. And I love that stuff. Okay. That is the kind of attitude I want our coach to have. I want him to believe in our guys. He's so scared. He coaches a scared game, a cowardly game where he punts when he shouldn't punt. He never goes. He's not aggressive on fourth downs. I just cannot. I don't know how much of this I can take when like, and then anytime something goes wrong, he takes, he just goes back into the shell. You know, he just goes back, turtles back in his shell. We're going to go back to the most vanilla Seahawks. And it's yeah, living we'll in fear versus instilling we'll, fear, right? Oh, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll go 11 and six. We'll make the playoffs. But like, and it, and I will enjoy every step of the way. Don't get me wrong. If we go 11 and six, I'll have fun with it. But the, we are putting a ceiling on how good this team could possibly be. And that just drives me a little bit crazy. Uh, all right, Kevin, I'm going to cut you loose. What are, what are your, what are your emotional reactions to this, uh, to this Seahawks game? Uh, so one of them is that like, there's a little bit of a snake bit feeling like going back through the game, you know, in real time, I kind of felt these things, but then on the second watch, 
they really stood out to me. I felt myself bracing for these moments coming up. You just talked about how hard it is to feel confident that Pete's going to cash in on that fourth down. And we geared up for fourth and one. And then Damian Lewis got a false start penalty. You know, that was, that was a big moment. And uh, yeah. And, and you know what Pete Carroll probably felt in that moment? He probably felt a sense of relief that he didn't have to go for it on fourth down anymore. Coward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, another moment that sticks out to me was the DJ Reed uh, penalty. Like the, there were, two penalties that were called that are I'll just say weak. Uh, one was the penalty against uh, somehow Jordan Brooks as an offensive lineman for taunting on a uh, Chris Carson's rushing touchdown after the strip sack. And then Jordan, Jordan Brooks. Yeah. Somehow Jordan Brooks as a offensive lineman got called for a penalty because they said 56, they never corrected it. And they, then you couldn't figure out where the taunting was in the video. So uh once again, offensive lineman Jordan Brooks getting a taunting penalty. And uh, I told you these taunting penalties are out of control. And then the, the DJ, other one was the DJ, the DJ Reed, Reed one. one. Yeah, oh my gosh. That made, the, uh, that made some I, I mean, lists of most egregious Well, here's the thing. If you go back a little further in the exact same game, when he broke up the uh, fade in the end zone to uh, A.J. Brown earlier in the game, basically, instead of turning his body towards the sideline, he turned his body back towards the field and did the exact same gesture, and it wasn't a penalty. But now, because he was facing the sideline, which is facing closer to the player that he just did it to, it is a penalty. Because oh, no, yeah, that's taunt- where the line taunt- should be. It's taunting the bench, apparently. The the taunting thing is, is out of bounds, for sure. Like, uh, have you ever seen that Bill Belichick video where he's talking about celebrating after a good play? Yes. I mean, if the most curmudgeonly freaking... A guy who who just loves the history of the game. Like, there's nobody who loves the history of the game more than more than a uh, Belichick, right? And if the most curmudgeonly history of the game guy thinks that we should be celebrating after plays, then it's probably okay, unless it's pretty egregious. I only saw one taunting penalty where I was like, I kind of agree with that one. As a wide receiver got a catch and he like really went after the cornerback, and I'm like, okay, I get that one. But the one where the guy there was a bunch of them this weekend. The guy spun the ball after the yep. play. It's like, who yes. cares? Let people spin the ball. Like that's not that big of a deal. Yeah, this is some classic no fun league stuff. Yeah, we're going back. It's, it's we're going back to the the celebrations after the touchdowns, which were so annoying. Like when they, they couldn't do anything after the touchdown, they had to yep. just sh- shake hands. Marshawn shaking hands, right? That's exactly it. And so there's a few of those moments that kind of kind of uh stand out for me and you know as frustrating as the penalty was what do we always say on the podcast play well enough that the referees can't take the game away from you and this was a poorly officiated game and i mean that as a whole it was a poorly officiated game we had chris carson's phantom first down we had just some really poor calls all over the place and so when you wash that out You're looking at a team that needs to be able to close out a game. And what we saw was an entire second half with a Pete Venn defense where the pass over the middle of the field, how many dump offs to a tight end or a running back in between the hash marks about five to eight yards upfield did we watch in a row? And there was no adjustment. This was once again right back to Ken Norton not being able to make any adjustments in game. It was right back to the offense having stutter stop moments. It was a lot of last year's frustrations. And yeah, there were parts that looked different, but there was enough of the same 
that there was still the frustrating DNA of a first round playoff loss. Let's talk about the last drive of the of uh, of regulation for the old Tennessee Titans. You know, what do you say? I think that's a great idea, Kevin. How about this? This is how it went right here. Okay, Uh, Derek Henry. This is this is a drive that starts with four minutes and 12 seconds left. Okay, not not a ton of time on the clock. Uh, Derek Henry ran on the first play. They had a holding. So it's first and 20. They pass it to Julio. Then short pass to Derrick Henry, short pass to Derrick Henry, short pass to Jeremy McNichols. Jeremy McNichols runs for three yards, short pass to Jeremy McNichols, two minute warning. Derrick Henry runs for eight yards. Derrick Henry runs for four yards, short pass to Derrick Henry, short pass to Jeremy McNichols. Derrick Henry left guard for five yards. They did not run a single play that went more than three yards past the line of scrimmage or was a running play all out of no huddle all in a row. The Seahawks had no answer for it. It was the, it was the most it was just the worst effort, and and uh, I just was so fr- – that drive basically killed my enthusiasm for the Seahawks defense this year. It was just like, wow, this is what we are. We're this team that just gets beat by off-guard off runs and dump seven dump-offs to running backs in a four-minute drive. Like, that's us. That was – it was bad. That was really, really bad and very, very frustrating. Yeah, the inability to adjust there is inexcusable to me. The other thing is you talked about the overtime sequence for the offense. I think something that was really clear to me in that instance, I feel like Russ still has a little ways to go to trusting Shane Waldron's play call because he was clearly forcing the ball to the sideline. I feel like he was trying to force feed DK the ball all game, and it took a lot of the efficiency away that we saw in the Colts game. And it was okay in the first half when we were still rolling up points, but in the second half, when they kind of figured out what was going on, even a Titans defense that isn't that great, like if they can tell that you're just going to try and wind up and throw the ball down the sidelines, then they're going to stop that. Like, we were in praise last game of Russ throwing over the middle. And yeah, he was seven for seven throwing to the middle of the field. But none of those passes, not one of them, was between 10 and 20 yards. As a matter of fact, only four attempts in the entire game were between 10 and 20 yards down the field. So those kind of middle, middle passes that push the first down uh, boundary, things that we thrived on last game, especially throws to the tight end, Those were not what he was looking for this time. Instead of looking for like the third, fourth read on a tight end or a running back and just getting what the defense gives you, you could tell he was trying to hit the home run ball and it was unnecessary. And that's what part of what's buttered out and stalled our offense. Yeah, it was just and like you're like you said, that overtime drive and like I mentioned before, like just throwing deep, throwing deep, sack for 12 yards, trying to throw deep. Like it was just it was just a classic like Russ trying too hard drive. Yep. Like he no he totally he totally did you you have to just take what the defense gives you and it was what was so refreshing about the first game of the season was just Russ taking underneath routes and just taking what the defense gives him and in this game as when when push came to shove when pre, when the pressure was on he kind of fell apart in that regard and it was it was a little bit frustrating for sure yeah, he like, reverted to Russ magic and you know you live by it and die by it. Yeah, 100%. So, all right, let's get into the, the nitty gritty. Let's get into the uh, the uh, the offensive players. Uh, star of the game uh, for me was Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown was awesome in this game. Dwayne Brown is really good at football. And one thing I love about watching Dwayne play is after a good play, there is no one on the field who is more excited 
than Dwayne Brown. I just like <laughs> I just love how in the game he is. He is a veteran leader. I'm really glad he's on this team. I really hope that they can get something done if he wants to play for one, two, three more seasons. Even you know he's getting up there in age, but he does not seem to be faltering at all. I do think this is an Andrew Whitworth situation where he can anchor our line for a couple more years, uh, maybe like two years, twenty million, something like that. Make pay the man, make him happy. Uh, he is he is a rock, and I love him. Uh, Pay this man his money. Kevin, did you have a different offensive MVP? Uh, I do. I have somebody who maybe they aren't necessarily the MVP in the traditional sense, but I'm going to call them my uh, offensive breakout player of the game. And that was uh, I'm all aboard the Swain train, man. Uh, Freddie Swain. I thought that he looked like a viable third receiving option. He had that play that he absolutely punished the defense for collapsing on DK and Lockett short. And he was just running wide open deep and got hit for the touchdown. Um, he had that solid five yard sweep that uh, the jet sweep that definitely got wiped out by a penalty, but it didn't matter because he did well. Can I talk about the he, the five yard run too? I hate when the announcers are like, when he got five yards on a jet sweep and then they're like, oh, well, not much doing on that jet sweep. The goal yardage on a, on a reverse play is four yards. Like yep. he, he, five yards yeah. is a good, is a good result. Like that, that is what we want. If he got five yards on that sweep every time, he is doing exactly what we wanted him to do. Like or the, another way to say it is if your running back's getting five yards per carry, you're not going to be like, well, only five yards per carry for that running back. Yeah, exactly. It's ridic- ridiculous. All right. Really- so uh, I felt like, he had uh, the long touchdown play was a bit was a big splash play. He was solid in the sweep game. And then he had a couple of other nice like little catch and run first down type plays. He just looked like a good role player in the slot, which is what we need him to be, especially with the Eskridge out. Yeah, Eric, who's your who's your offensive uh, stud in this one? Uh, Tyler Lockett, uh, despite all the targets and, you know, marquee names. I'm, I'm looking at you, DK Metcalf. Uh, Tyler Lockett. Are you saying still... his head wasn't the only thing that looked polished? Yeah. I they both, they that. both, they both had eleven targets, but Lockett made a lot more, made yeah. a lot more out of his. <laughs> but than, you uh, know, the, after DK. last year, everyone was, you know, DK Metcalf was anointed, and that's fine. DK is a good talent. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe being a little too petty this year, but but Tyler Lockett, he's still our guy. I mean, this is the the clutch player. This is the Doug Baldwin, the guy who moves the ball, the guy who makes big plays. Doug Baldwin any, that runs a four four. Any time that. Russ throws the ball to Tyler Lockett. I have faith that Tyler's going to catch it. And he doesn't. I'm I'm never mad about it. I'm just like, okay, something happened there. But it's it's something that I'm... Someday when he's gone, we're going to remember how awesome Tyler Lockett was. Yeah, one thing I didn't like about this game in general, though, is the fact that only five players received a target. Uh, you're like, you were right. I think it was Eric, you said this. Russ really zoned in on... I'm going to force feed Lockett and Metcalf. I don't know if that's yes. Kevin that said that, but Russ really zoned in on like I'm force feeding these two guys. And uh, I think it did hurt the overall. I think this offense will work at its best when Russ is playing point guard out there a little bit. Right. And he's spreading the ball around and getting Gerald Everett involved, getting the running backs involved, which they were not involved in this game. I think Homer had two catches yeah, and that's it. it. Homer, yes. Homer had it. Carson is a guy who can catch the ball. We talked yeah. about how Alex Collins should be the second back on this team. He's proven that he should do it. Uh, Gerald Everett had a target. Will Disley was MIA. Uh, what? Well, Alex Collins had one rush for 25 yards, like barely played. It's, it's That's super weird. But, you know, only getting 25 yards, you probably shouldn't play him anymore. I mean, I think that it's very efficient. You know, one play, 21 run, 25 yeah. yards out there for out there. For it wasn't five 30, passing so we got to we got to we got to bench him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Just I really felt. 
maybe maybe it's just D. Eskridge was missing. You know, he is an important cog in what we're trying to do. And even though Swain did perform admirably, maybe the difference between Swain and Eskridge is enough that it kind of threw off the mojo. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I really it, don't think it is. I think I think this is just one of those things where kind of the, the growing, shots growing were pains. There. Yes, this is this is Russ kind of understanding the fit of the offense. And week one was when everything was working right. And I think kind of what happened was in this game, in the first half, things kind of got going and they were rolling. And I don't think Russ knew kind of which levers to pull when things started to fall out. And I, again, I do specifically think it was Russ because when you go back and you look and we don't have all 22 because the NFL hates people enjoying their product. Okay. I got it. We got to rant about this a little bit. Okay. Seriously. (laughs) How, how are you going to make your product so much worse every year? Like every year game pass gets worse and and now this was an atrocious, egregious now, downgrade. Now, not only do you make it worse, you make your UI worse, you make your condensed game field take longer, but or like longer. So now all the all the condensed it's game like field 10 minutes longer are 10 minutes longer. But also you don't have all 22 anymore because like what, the way I watch the game on replay, you know, I watch what I'd like to do is I watch the condensed game film. And then on the old game pass, when a play is interesting to me, I watch the all 22 of that play. And it's very easy. It was like one click. I can get over to the all 22 and then one click. I'm back to the condensed game film and I, and I can kind of what, you know, filter through the game like that. Now I don't have all 22 at all. The condensed game film is longer because they're showing a much more replays and have they just people talking and stuff. It's like, God, what is uh, it's frustrating. I don't care what the announcer said. You can cut the announcer off. I'm watching a condensed game. Yeah, I want to watch. I want to watch the football game more. It's very frustrating. This has been our unad for NFL Game Pass. Yeah, I'm. Well, you're lucky. I'm, you're lucky. It's a season ticket holder benefit, and we get it for for quote unquote free because <laughs> other I wouldn't be paying for it. <laughs> I tell you that much. But uh, <laughs> when you watch when you rewatch the game, the route concepts were still good. You were still looking at like boot action right and. And flood concepts. Love that boot action still, stuff. Yeah, sure. exactly. It, I mean, it looks good. And, you know, uh, I do think there was something to being kind of overhyped. Um, like, if you look on the first drive of the game, D, uh, Russ came out and he kind of overthrew it to the sideline to DK for the incompletion that basically ended that drive. And then on the drive that led to the first field goal of the game, on the third down play, there was boot action right. Lockett came free in the end zone and Russ just kind of overthrew him, just kind of put a little bit too much arm into it, leading him. And those that. are things maybe he was just a little too amped up playing in front of the home crowd. And that doesn't excuse it. I mean, he's a 10 year vet. He should know better. He should do better. And I think he would tell you that. But it does kind of help to explain what's going on. I think like this was a lot of new things and a lot of adjustments. And as much as we love the install, the fact of the matter is an offense does usually take a little bit of time to click. And what you would rather have is an offense that maybe takes a second to really come into itself over the first half of the season, than have an offense that comes out of the gate looking really good, but is so simplistic and predictable that in the second half of the season, the entire defense in the NFL is looking at your film going, Oh, we're going to do this next, which was a problem last year. Yes, it was. Okay, let's talk about the rest of the offensive line other than Dwayne Brown. Gabe Jackson, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damian Lewis, pretty good. Uh, I mean, the run blocking was medium in general, but they only had 12 opportunities, so it's a small sample. Brandon Shell, I thought, pretty good, especially considering he, considering he picked up a ding in the game and kind of was 
a little bit hurt. I like Brandon Shell. Kyle Fuller. Mm-hmm. John Schneider. I need Garbage. to have a meet. John Schneider, I need to have a meeting with you. Okay. We have $11 million in cap space right now. And Kyle Fuller is not an NFL center. And if we are expecting to go into the Rams game and uh, have some Kyle Fuller action on Aaron Donald, I am. I know that there's some clips of him doing good against Aaron Donald in the past. I do not want to run that back. I am. Uh, I'm over it. Uh, let's just keep the memories. I don't. It's kind of like uh, when they make a new uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I mean, Indiana Jones movie. I don't need to see the new Indiana Jones movie because I'll just keep the memories. We'll just keep the memories of Kyle Fuller doing good, uh, and we can we can move on. We don't need more Kyle Fuller to to ruin the memories. It was great. We could just, we could just have the those one shining moment. We can just have it and uh, be done with it because we have we'll eleven million sample set. We don't need to expand it. Test it under other circumstances. I think we know. I cannot stress this enough. We have eleven million dollars in cap space, and I do think some of that is earmarked for Richard Sherman. I'm actually starting to to buy yes. that as like a low key conspiracy theory. They are waiting for Sherman to get his head right to to really feel like, and some of that is earmarked for Richard. That's Two fine. other teams have kicked he the tires is, on him. He is not going to cost eleven million dollars. Nope, he's just not, not 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 in his current state. So that leaves us some room to get a center. Get a center, please. Get a center. I don't know like what team has a center that I haven't been gone depth chart shopping. You know, like what team that is already just basically dead is uh, like Jacksonville. Does Jacksonville have a good center? I don't know. But one team that is 0-2 has a good center. Go up to them. Tell them you'll give them a fifth-round pick for their center. Take their center. <laughs> please, please, please do this for me. Please. Dear, dear John, I am the draft person on this podcast as much as anybody is. Um, and as, as the person who salivates over the many draft picks that there are, please, please trade one of those draft picks in order to get a center because this is a very good team and we can't really show that when our center sucks. So that is what needs to happen. I am in complete agreement. Give up, give up some assets, give up literally anything, but let's, let's go ahead and make that happen. Okay. And on 341 class blocking snaps in 2020 pro football focus had Brandon Linder allowing zero QB hits, one sack and just three hurries for a total of four pressures here in the highest pass blocking grade against among centers, which matches my computer vision results, blah, 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 whatever. Brandon Linder is the, is the center for Jacksonville. Yeah. Go get that guy. Okay. Just whatever it takes. I don't care. Like we need a new center. Get, get a get a center, please. Do whatever it takes. I think they're I, just going to ride with what they have, and this is a oof. sad thing. And hey, I would rather like, go get Justin Britt back from Houston. I'm yes, telling you that. why. It's because Justin Britt might be the only option because a center is the one that needs the most synergy with the quarterback, and it's something that you you develop over time. It's not something that outside of like a the pros pro can just pick up on. And I think the Seahawks are going to be shy about that and not pull the trigger. I'm sorry. I I'm totally agreeing with you guys. I'm just being, bringing the realism to the podcast because I, I don't see it happening for that reason. And it sucks. All right. I have to say to that Frank Ragnow, arguably the best center in the NFL plays for Detroit. Just saying. There you okay. go. Like can, Detroit, can you get him? Detroit's you got can, a center. That's what I said. The, Jacksonville. If you got a pros get, pro, like the best get guy. On, get on the phone. Those guys are good, right? We just established Jacksonville has a good center. De- Detroit has a good center. Those teams suck. Get on the phone. P- John, we know you love to do this. Get on the phone. Ask them, you know, can you take some of the salary? Can we figure out a way to make this work? Like, 
and leave room for Sherman because I do feel like that that is something they are doing. And this could be uh, a Dwayne Brown level of impact. Like when we brought him in to play left tackle, it made a significant difference. Yeah, and sent, I, I've seen a lot of stuff that bring, uh, raising the bar at center can raise the bar for everyone else a pretty significant amount, mostly because, I mean, the center's calling the, the, the shots on the line, right? He's calling the protections. And so definitely can help a lot. All right, let's go to defense. Because we've been on we've been on offense slash rants for, for, for a long time. Defense tail of two halves a little bit, but I thought that generally they played decent, except for at the end of the game when they went into that Pete vent and they targeted the middle of the field fifteen times in a row. And I think I wanted to to throw myself out the window. Other than that, not too bad. Uh, MVP for me has got to be uh, Puna Ford. Just a, just a rock in the center of the line. A uh, couple pressures couple uh had a run stop al woods actually had a, a really good game yeah he did. uh seven seven recorded run stops with six tackles like al woods was a force uh, in the middle of the field and kind of just exactly what we need him to be right just a, a solid run stuffer who can who can eat some snaps love that um kevin was there anyone who stood out else who stood out on defense for you uh you know one person i want to bring up again is why is alton robinson only getting six pass rush snaps yeah because um, according to this, if he would have had as many pass rush snaps as Kerry Hyder, he would have had seven sacks this game. Now, I'm not saying he's going to get seven sacks. I'm just saying I would like to give him the opportunity to perhaps get seven sacks. Let's do can, that. Can we give him like 15 of Benson Mayo sack, uh, snaps and 10 of Kerry Hyder snaps and get him up to like 45? Like that, that just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I think Rasheem Green is playing good in his like inside out role. I don't want to yep. take many of his snaps. I mean, Darrell Taylor, I'd like to see him get a couple more snaps too. Daryl, sorry. And LJ, LJ Collier, I'd like to see him lose all of his snaps. <laughs> so, <laughs> in all fairness, that's only because he's not playing well and because he's not a great football player. Uh, uh, this fact that he was a healthy scratch in week one probably had something to do with why we won. Uh, okay, let, let's. Uh, okay, so Alden Robinson definitely stand out though. Like he he needs to be getting on the field more. I agree. Eric, is there anyone who who uh, jumped out to you? Uh, Alden Robinson was a guy that I just had circled as you know, put him out more. Al Woods had a great game. Bobby Wagner. Uh, it's it's great that he had those amount of tackles. Tis no uh, man, tis a tackling machine. It's one of those things where tackles, we, right? We yeah. love Bobby Wagner. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, talk like if Bobby Wagner's having that big of a game, uh, you probably don't want that because it's it means that, you know, they dumped not... it off to the running back 15 times in a row for five yards. <laughs> exactly. Uh, can, can we talk about his sack, though? The but, sack that he had to force the field goal in, I think it was the second quarter. Dude, awesome. Bobby getting a little older. Bobby looks f- as fast as ever. He absolutely That's... leveled. Yeah, my yeah, that was great. My notes on that was Bobby Wagner is a good looking dude. So if you would have asked me if I would want to be embraced and smooched on the lips by him last week, I might have said yes. But after seeing how Tannehill took it, the answer <laughs> to that is no. Uh, I will say this about well, I, the, say, I thought the answer to that was even more. Yeah. He's he's, uh, he's on pace for like 215 uh, tackles or something. You know, like, he's so on pace just given it. that sack, how we did that and maybe Jamal Adams how we used him last year to how things went this week and looking at how, if we weren't running any sort of stunt, uh, I, I wrote no stunts, no interest. Our, our oh, by the way, Jamal Adams also getting some of his pressure stats called back by penalties again. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be very, very interesting to see what we can do to change up the, the pressure schemes on this team. I, I do think it hurt too. like Jamal. He, 
he didn't pass rush a lot, but that's because he played on the line 21 snaps. And of those 21 snaps, they ran on 13 of them. I think they looked for him around line of scrimmage and ran towards him. I do not think, and I don't think that's a good role for him. I don't want him to be being forced to be a run stuffer along the line. That is a misuse of Jamal Adams. And Pete Carroll even admitted. that really hurt us? Pete. I mean, the second half of this game, like uh, 61 yard run, the 61 yard run. He uh, he got aggressive, shot into the backfield and left uh, the quarterback out on an island. And, and Jamal Jamal Adams uh, is a really good football player. But I do think Pete Carroll is even admitted they haven't totally figured out how to use him the, to the best of their abilities in this in this system. And I think you that they're still going to still going to be a, there's still some growing pains, but they need to figure it out because he is too good to be playing. Uh, like to be doing stuff like that, where he's just getting put, he's getting put in a position to fail. That's a coaching. It's a coaching. 70 million reasons to figure this out though. It's Jamal. Jamal needs to, Jamal needs to be put in a position to succeed. They need to figure out the right way to use him. This is ridiculous. Uh, Okay. Uh, Cornerbacks, DJ Reed. Good. Trey flowers. Bad. I don't think we need, I don't think we need to belabor this point. Like Trey flowers. We, we, everyone has just been hammering it all week. And yes, it is very true. Trey flowers. Bad. Can I dig down just a little bit, though? Okay. Uh, so instead of just Trey Flowers is bad, I would like to explain. Trey Flowers, this. Trey Flowers is bad, though. Yes, he is. <laughs> but he's not just bad. He's bad in a specific way. Super bad. And this, no, that's later in the podcast. <laughs> um, he's bad in a specific way, and that is that Pete seems to be okay with Trey Flowers allowing the catch and then making the tackle. And the problem is when Bobby does that, it's like five yards. And when Trey Flowers does that, it's like 51 yards or 50 yards. He gave up a 50 yard pass where he didn't allow any yards after the catch. It's like, okay, who cares? That sucks still. This is the this is the best example of just like a Pyrrhic victory ever. It's like, cool. Uh, They didn't take any of our land in this war. Oh, yeah. 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 We built a we built a giant wall out of the bodies of all of our uh, village people in order to keep them out. So they didn't take anything from us. Yeah, but you killed all of your people. Yeah, but they didn't take any land. Like that's, that's Trey flowers as the leader of the right cornerback group. It's like, okay, I didn't allow any yards after catch. Yeah, but you allowed a long catch, but did he run after that? Doesn't matter. Congratulations. You gave up a hundred yards the hard way. So yeah, yes, and, that was, that's specifically frustrating because he's a walking like death by a thousand cuts. And for us to completely shut AJ Green out, AJ Brown out of this game, pretty much like to lock, to lock him down is it sucks to see. Cause what they did is they looked for Trey. They looked for Trey. When Trey was on AJ Brown, he got targeted three times. Now he happened to break up two of those. Pa- oh, well, actually one was a pretty bad drop. AJ <laughs> Brown looked so <laughs> off this game. He, he lucked out. Uh, AJ Brown had three drops, and and Trey lucked out on that one. But he had a pass breakup, and then when he was on Julio, he got targeted three times. Like they were looking, they were looking for Trey to try to go after him a little bit in the passing game. And you can't have a guy out there that is just a target like that. Like it just it just paints a fat target on his back. Like hey, we can come after this guy because he's not good. Yep. That is that is not where you want to be. Um, yeah. And then of course, you know, Brooks and Brooks and Wagner obviously coughed up a bunch of goodwill with that last drive with the coverage in the middle of the field. Uh, but that was a scheme issue. I don't right. think it was a personnel issue. I don't think that's cause they're bad. I think it's because yeah, the, the scheme was really stupid. 
<laughs> just yep. frustrating. Just frustrating. Um, yeah, dumb penalties. The the twelfth man in this game was happened to be the referees. They took it from the from the crowd, which is BS because the crowd was great. You know, like the the fans were awesome in this game. They were bringing it, and the 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 referees were like, "Nah, nah, we're gonna we're gonna have a bigger impact. We need to we need to make sure that the bigger impact between us so and the players and aren't the crowd. gonna show me up. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the players. Yeah. Are, the that's what made this a great camp. week in the NFL, right? Is we all we all tuned in to watch professionals at the peak of their job, and it was so good to see the officials all week doing that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, you know, it's uh sometimes when you when you uh, watch a game like this, you need to like have a creative outlet. You know, for me, uh, my big creative outlet is the Patreon podcast. You know, being the schwam, writing the jokes. That's my big creative outlet Kevin what do you like what do you do to to be to be creative what's your creative outlet you know I actually enjoy writing you like writing that's how I got into the podcast if you remember yeah you were you like writing like some articles I know you get on discord and kind of write some uh, longer posts and stuff uh do you do any creative writing or just just uh just more like a regular regular uh Uh, any erotic writing here and there nice and Eric what what you I know your creative outlet you got the pictures I'm uh you you take a lot of photos you take any good photos this week after the game trying to trying to maybe chill out a little bit (laughs) or maybe maybe to channel your anger what'd you what'd you what'd you you photograph I have uh, photographed some Batman toys that I had that I wasn't uh that I was just sitting on and I was like you know what it's time for Batman because uh this this game blows well you know who got creative this week uh that's Blake from from banner sponsor Washington Washington Fish Quest uh yeah he made a he made a fishing rod out of bamboo and caught a bluegill it was pretty sweet it was only 50 54 nice. second video so if you want the the low-key intro to the to the washington fist quest just get a taste you know you don't you're like i don't have time to watch a 20 minute salmon video you can watch this like one minute video it's sweet he made a fishing rod out of a out of a bamboo rod and then he asked in the comments do you want to see me do more about do-it-yourself ba- uh, fishing rods and i was like yeah now I, I do want that. That was sweet. So That's if you want to check, if you want to check it out, you know the the YouTube, yeah, like the prim, primitive technology kind of stuff, right? Like I like I like that that channel and I like that kind of stuff. It's fun. So if you want to check out Washington Fish Quest, it'll be in the uh, in the it'll be in the description, and of course it'll be on the Discord. Check out Blake at Washington Fish Quest. All right, let's get into Minnesota because I don't want to talk about Tennessee <laughs> any more. I don't want to do it. I want to be done. Okay, so Minnesota. Uh, well, first of Minnesota all, Minnesota is bad. Seattle, it, it, they their defense. Woof. <laughs> can we, <laughs> like Buzz's girlfriend? Can we woof. can we start with that? Like I thought this defense would be improved because it's like, hey, if you throw enough cornerbacks at this problem, like a couple of them will be good. Um, but that is not the case. They're all bad. They're all bad. Peter Pat Pete's bad, Breland's bad, Mackenzie Alexander's bad. They're bad. They're all bad. They suck, and they should feel bad. Like it's they're not good. It's it's funny because I just really thought like, okay, these are all guys who have upside. Some of them will play good. <laughs> I guess that's not how you can approach the. Pro- I guess they could all, they could all play bad. How, how def- are they not taking advantage of the great quarterback they have? I like how they signed all those guys, and their best corner is still Cam Cameron Danzler, and they won't play him. <laughs> yeah, that 
They won't, no, because he can't tackle. So they're they're like they're like, well, this guy he he gives up missed tackle, so you know you can't play him, even though the ball doesn't go to the receiver because he knocks it down. Who cares if so it he's does? The opposite of Trey Flowers, he's like, the... he can cover them, but if they catch it, he won't tackle them. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's just get into it. But their defensive line is pretty solid. Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter, Michael Pierce, Davlin Thomas, and Sheldon Richardson. That is a really Stephen Weatherly. This is a good solid defensive line rotation. They have an excellent linebacker in Eric Kendricks. Uh, their defense kind of stops out there. I like their safeties, Xavier Woods and uh, and uh, uh, talking Harrison Smith, yep. <laughs> talk talking hard. Uh, their safeties are pretty solid, so they're kind of like us in that they're they're good in the middle of the field. I think their defensive line is a little better. Their linebackers and safeties are slightly worse, but it's a you're right, Kevin. It's a similar situation to us. Their cornerbacks are dire are dirty diaper. They're so bad, and then yeah, they're basically so then, starting okay, double. Trade so the defenses are kind of the similar in a similar level. There's just the the worse us. What about the offenses? Well, their offenses is, is like the budget version of us as well. I think DK is a little bit better than Jefferson in terms of young wide receivers. And I think that Tyler Lockett's a little better than Thielen in terms of old wide receivers. Uh, and our quarterback might just be slightly better than Kirk Cousins. <laughs> slightly. And Dalvin Cook's better than Chris Carson. I'll concede that. But the the offensive line is like ours where there's a there there's strikes and gutters, but they don't have a Dwayne Brown. Where I'm just like, I completely trust that guy. I don't know. Christian Derrissaw could be that guy for them, but I don't think he's there yet. And he's he's coming back from an injury still, right? Kevin, isn't he like still recovering from an injury or they're they're like not they're working him in or something stupid? Kevin, uh, it looks like Kevin Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin got, got comcasted. But yeah, Kevin's the Kevin's the draft guy, but they spent a first round pick on a left tackle last year and he's not even He's not even playing because I think he he had a core muscle injury in the preseason and then he had a surgery and now they're now they're working him in. And it's like you don't spend a first round pick on a left tackle and then work him in that so you can play Rashad Hill. That's probably that's probably a recipe for failure. And well, it's a pretty big problem. Their offensive line does not look like it's been able to really become what they've been wanting it to be. I agree. They, they need, so that, yeah, it's like they don't have like a, a rock on the line like we do with Dwayne Brown. They just have four guys Brian who, are, O'Neal. who are medium. Ezra Cleveland's been playing pretty solid at guard. Uh, like I really think they need, if this team is going to be like a playoff contender, they need Derrissaw to, to play and they, they need him to play good, right? They need him to come in and be a, a starting quality left tackle. And yeah, they also need a center. I would argue as bad or worse than we do because Garrett Bradbury is not it. Um, yeah, well, he, the thing is I watched Garrett Bradbury, some Garrett Bradbury tape and I, cause I was kind of a, like medium into him in college. Like I thought like, Oh, this guy has potential. And like, he still does a lot of things that I think like look really good, but man, does he get like hammered and hammered in the passing, in the passing game. Like he did just, People can just collapse him straight into Kirk Cousins. It's like, what yeah. is happening on this play? Like, it's just ridiculous. So, okay. So we we agree. This is this is bad Seahawks. Uh, Mike Zimmer hired his son to be the defensive coordinator, and that's why their secondary is bad. So uh like Pete hired his son. All right. Yeah, that that that's what the bad the bad defensive Mirror Seahawks. They're the mirror Seahawks, yeah. So Oh, and they hired for DBs and we have them for wide receivers. Wait a minute. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's just get into picks. Here we go. Eric, what do you think? What do you see in this weekend for Seahawks Vikings? That's really hard because uh, those those Patreon listeners will will know from the picks podcast that I am worried about this game. And I'm worried because I'm not a doom and gloom guy, but I look at how high we were on the Seahawks offense in week one, week two. 
we have no reason to be high on it, uh, at least for the, the last half of the game. Seemed a little pretty uninspired. Seems like we went back to the old shoddy offense. And this matchup has Kirk Cousins, who's not very good, but Kirk Cousins has a nice rapport with both of his receivers. And we saw a little bit of what that looked like with Tannehill and Julio Jones in our secondary, where we have a uh, any sort of kismet or a, or, a, or a bond could get us in trouble in the secondary. Plus, we're going up against Dalvin Cook. So this game has me a little like a little on edge because I don't no one wants to lose. I don't lose any games. I don't want to lose to the Vikings ever. The Vikings time for being good is that was, that was like 13 years ago. Um, and then they threw it directly to the Saints. So with that being said, I have the Seahawks winning this game 34 to 28, which is that's a little too close for comfort. All right. I uh, I kind of tend to agree. I think it's going to be uh, tougher than people expect. That makes sense. So I, I'm uh, I'm right there with you. I think it's a one touchdown game. Uh, I I don't I, I would love to see us just come out there, throw the ball around, put them away and then just just run it down their throats at the end of the game and, and kill the clock. That's that's what that should be. The game plan is come out hot, get up, get up 15 and then just kill the clock and win by 10. That's that's what we want. That's the, just like the Indianapolis game, right? Just kill the clock, win by ten. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna go with uh, Seahawks. I don't know, thirty-one twenty-four. All right, Kevin, what do you think? I think it's gonna be a barn burner again, just like the Tennessee game was. Um, Minnesota has played two games that against teams you might argue actually have a worse defense than our defense, and. Uh, you probably even could argue have worse corners than our corners, which, I mean, impressive on that second one. So they've been able to put up points on teams that they can throw on. They've got two good wide receivers to throw to. So I think we're going to have to score, and we're going to have to get a turnover, a, a stop of some variety. I have Seahawks 37, Minnesota 30. All right. There we go. So uh, for... If you want to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, there are many ways to do so. You can head over to iTunes and give us a review. Uh, you can make fun of our uh, our sound quality. That's what that's what most of the reviews. <laughs> no, they're they're mostly they're mostly positive. Actually, just a couple people. But but uh, you can also uh, head over to patreoncom Nest. as little as a dollar twenty four a month. Be like a new Patreons: Daniel, Trevor, Charles. Join in the. Joining the squad, joining the Discord, getting in the conversation. And then, you know, Patreon's doing all the still support the show. Andy, Brett, Greta, James, Carrie, Lucas, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, Astro, Bob, Casey, Charles, Daniel, David, Phloctomus, Foles, Jay, Kieran, Leon, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard. It's it's uh, Sam, Thomas, Warwolf, uh, Brandon, and Nick. All right. So thank you to guy, everyone for supporting the show. Uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. All right. So th- this week was bad. So I, I challenge the boys to tell me their movie that makes them feel better. You know, like your your chicken soup movie. You're, you're feeling a little down. You're feeling a little sick. You're not feeling happy. What's the mo- What's the What do you reach for? What do you reach for when you need that little pick-me-up? So start us off, Kevin. What's, what's your movie you reach for when you need a pick-me-up? Okay, so I had a bunch of movies in mind for this, and a lot of them were movies that we've talked about recently. Uh, but the big thing for me is... Action movies are distracting and comedy movies cheer me up. And so when I'm feeling down, I reach for action comedies. And one action comedy that is very near and dear to my heart, very special to me, 
um, always la- always makes me laugh quite a bit is the other guys. So the 2010, uh, you know, it's got renowned, internationally renowned scientist Mark Wahlberg, as well as uh, comedian Will Ferrell. And Eva Mendez is great in this. Uh, Michael Keaton is awesome. It's just got a lot of running gags and hilarious one-liners and situationally funny moments. Um, Like, I can't think of a lot of parts of movies that are funnier to me than when uh, Eva Mendez and Will Ferrell are sending her mom back and forth with dirty messages. Um, like that, that entire situation is hilarious. Uh, the, the TLC lyrics running gag with Michael Keaton is funny every single time. It's just, it's, it's a delightfully funny movie, but then, um, or, uh, what was it? Uh, when they make a soup kitchen in the, in his beautiful Prius, <laughs> an all timer. It's uh it's nine fifteen. Let's have a great day, everybody. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I think this movie, this, uh, <laughs> It's so, so funny. Uh, this movie's funny just because of like Will Ferrell, the the, the kind of like double, double I'm a thing. Peacock. Let me fly. And then, yeah, well, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg just trying to be be um, more than he he probably really is, and I don't know. He wants to be the loose cannon cop from every '80s movie. Yeah, which that maybe <laughs> the movie starts off with the whole Derek Jeter joke, and that's not um that's not really even anything I ever think about in this movie. I have to kind of dig deep to remember that. <laughs> Like that's maybe we, that's maybe we should call ourselves the Febreze gag. brothers, guys. Maybe we should call ourselves the Febreze brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. This movie has just a it has a lot of funny lines. It has a lot of good gags. Uh, I like I like Mark Wahlberg in a comedy because I think he does have good comedic timing. Even like those stupid Ted movies, like he is the the part of those movies that that I think his his comedic timing makes those movies work more than they should. And he can make fun of himself. He understands when he's part of the joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Eric, what about the what about the beginning gag with uh, Samuel Jackson and the and the Rock? It's it's not a <laughs> slow burn, but it's like the exact right moment burn. So it establishes that these guys are super cops, and then you see them uh, react and and work with the rest of the force, and how they uh, you know how they talk with the other guys, the the stars of the movie, and then uh, <laughs> then we see their demise, and it's just so perfect. You think you think you're not picking the bushes? You think of what I'm thinking? <laughs> Aim for the bushes. Oh, man. And then they play the Foo Fighters song. That's such a perfectly bad scene. When they jump off that roof, I love that it just stays, the camera stays on them. They don't cut to, like, the crowd. It's just, (laughs) like, you, it's slow motion, and you think, like, something's going to happen. Something cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So So stupid. Uh, all right, Eric. What's your uh, what's your chicken soup movie? What's your what's your what, if you need to feel better? What do you go for? So I always have uh, in the summertime. I have these stupid movies that I watch all the time, or movies that I find very funny that I've watched since my youth. But uh, around this time of year, I actually go for more of a uh, emotional, uh, not not deeply emotional, but I, I like my brain to be tantalized to to uh, be more involved and uh, not just uh, kind of you know phase out like it does all the time uh, on my free time so i like the maltese falcon this is a a very old movie from the 40s i didn't look up when it was made uh 1941 i I was gonna say kevin uh point to kevin from across the city points 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 (laughs) oh no thank you uh so this is a humphrey bogart movie if you don't know humphrey bogart he was you know 
back when I was a little kid, this is supposedly the greatest actor of all time. I think a lot of people now forget about him, but Humphrey Bogart could act. The, the Maltese Falcon is a somewhat of a whodunit, but it's just an old noir crime movie about a, a group of uh, high-class thugs that are trying to uh, steal this treasure that may or may not exist, and somehow, and a private eye who gets rolled into somehow it. Somehow, a private eye and his partner get uh, caught in the middle, and his partner dies. And yeah, it's it's just really well acted. It's really well written. There's some really cool killer lines in this movie. Quips, man. That's what I was about to mention. There's quips. Yep. There's a lot of quips in this movie. When when Humphrey Bogart is giving it to the the detectives that are trying to pin the murder on him, you know, it's 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 classic it's classic bogart where he's like oh yeah i'm sure the i'm sure you trust me right he's like hey i'm just doing my job um the the kid that pulls a gun on him and he steals the gun from him he gives it back pulls a gun on him again steals it again gives it back it's just <laughs> it's just great great storytelling and it, it brings a smile to my face because i really love Humphrey bogart in this movie I, well, then John Huston is the director. He did The Treasure of Sierra Madre and some other movies mm-hmm. you'd have heard of. Like, there's he, he has some great setup scenes. And, like, some of the other people, you'll you'll recognize these people if you watch any classic films. Like, Peter Laurie's in it. Um, City Green Street. Like, there's some there's some awesome <laughs> Peter people. Peter Laurie is such a slime. That is twice you've laid your hands on me, sir. The, the, uh, <laughs> the cool thing about this movie is that, like, the char- the characters are all, like, they all feel lived in. You know what I mean? Like they're they all feel That's like a great and, way of saying and, it. And they're and they're they're real tough guys. You know what I mean? It's like they're this seems like real people, like lived in characters that are just I don't know, it's just it's a it's 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 great. It's it's classic noir, man. It's it's classic noir, and if you like noir, you should a hundred percent watch this. Like if you if you think you like film noir and you haven't seen Maltese Falcon, like what are you waiting for? Like, yeah, and a lot of people are great book, great movie. They're scared of black and white movies. This is streaming on HBO Max. Just watch it. It's great. Yeah, Mac. Max is crushing it. Such a good content library on Max. Just such a touch, such a terrible app. Um, also, fact. Uh, if, don't try to rewind more <laughs> yeah, than thirty good luck seconds. Rewinding. <laughs> so, my movie, my Chicken Soup movie. If you couldn't tell already from all the the uh, the previews I did, uh, pre- foreshadowing I did is super bad. Um, and I just think no movie makes me laugh as hard as this movie. Uh, it's it is yes. <laughs> is it is it a kind of derivative plot? Um, yes classic got to get the party and get laid they knew that too when they made it but it's just this is this is one of the best versions of that movie that's ever been made and it's the one that works for me the best and it holds up as much as i remember and i think the thing i like about it is the emotional core of the movie is not like it yes jonah hill and michael sarah are both trying to get girlfriends or whatever but the emotional core movie is about two people who are graduating high school and growing apart and like how they deal with the emotion of that. And I think that that's like a, that's like a interesting emotional core that kind of separates this movie from, and the jealousy that Jonah Hill has because Michael Sarah is going to roommate with, with McLovin and, yes. and like, you know, just, just like that, those, those are real emotions that people have that I think are, are more interesting than just what usually the emotional core of these movies is. And I don't know. I find it quite enjoyable. And there's just so, so many funny lines in this movie that are just like Emily Coder. Like I was going to go down on her for like several hours. <laughs> and uh, like just the three or super... four hours. I'm sure she'd appreciate that. Uh, hey, Greg, why don't you go piss your pants again? That was like 12 years. That was like six years ago. Yeah, it's yeah that Dave Franco, that Dave Franco cameo is like a 11 <laughs> out of 10. 
Uh, and, and oh, the cops, man, just just uh, the cops trying to be cool, trying to like relive their glory days. <laughs> yes. Seth Rogen and Bill Hader are just so funny. <laughs> and uh, and Joe Latruglio as like this, uh, just <laughs> the guy who's going to help him get alcohol. Just a, just a creep. creep. Yeah, I just love that. <laughs> that I love Joe Latruglio. That moment where Joe Latruglio kind of like, he's like, you look, uh, you look like this guy. And then he kind of like bends forward and puts his hands on his knees. He goes, you really look like that guy. It's just uh, can you <laughs> like when they ask him? Do they keep asking him to sing? <laughs> well, there's just there's so many what? like you said. There's just jokes on what? like the whole McLevin thing. Muhammad's most commonly used name on Earth. Read a fucking book for once. What about when he's like when he says uh, when he says and so, so what did you do? I told her what time it was. <laughs> <laughs> which, which the replay of that is so classic because he goes uh, uh, he just does a perfect turn. Uh, or dude, there's just there's like little things in this movie too that people forget. Like like when when Seth's telling the story about how he couldn't touch a pen to paper without drawing a dick, and like yeah. he's just got that, <laughs> that book of dicks, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is so they're so funny. Sit around where's, all day. And where, where's all the there. stolen liquor, Danny Ocean? Did you hide it up your butt? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, and that's the thing. Like, so this movie came out in 2007. Um, Nathan and I were both in our late teens to 20. Yeah, it came out my, my sophomore this, year of college, man. This movie. Yeah. It captured how like 16 to 20 year olds kind of spoke back then. Right. Like that's another thing is the dialogue and everything felt genuine. Yeah. And um, I think McLovin is like maybe the most iconic film name of all time, too. Like it's up there with like Darth Vader. Like McLovin is like so stupid and so funny. And uh, take off, uh, take off your vest. You look like Aladdin. Like I don't know. There's just so when, many. When McLovin gets like you know the girl he's into Number the one, whole movie. You look like a... the he's into the whole movie, and he goes to dance with it at the end. The music they play, the looks, the camera, the way it cuts, and the, you can see his anxiety. And when he goes and actually goes sup and starts dancing with her it was <laughs> it was believable like she for a what second hesitates and then he does these dances and she's like yeah i what love that evan i'm so wet yeah they said that would happen in yeah. in health <laughs> <laughs> they said that would happen in health class <laughs> oh man i i seriously think like people people sleep on this movie a little bit and it it is like it is as good as you remember it being it um, is star as- central as funny and there are this is emma stone's like first move big movie yep. role like she she hadn't done anything prior to this and so yeah it's totally totally worth a rewatch uh definitely give it a shot and uh, all the chicken soup movies you know make you feel better after a tough loss so for eric for kevin we will see you all next week go hawks